You found us again. Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Good morning, Alan. Hey, good morning, Fred. Joining us, we're happy to welcome back Michael Senna, a consultant in the automotive and transportation fields and publisher of The Dispatcher. Great to see you, Michael. Great to be back. Thank you, Fred. Hi, Alan. Hi, hi. Nice to have you. In the latest Dispatcher, on top is the first part of a two-part series talking about why there is still a chance for the Western car makers to stay in the manufacturing <clears throat> game as opposed to becoming assemblers, as you put it, of battery electric vehicle components. Give us the overview, Michael. Oh, well, the, the, the main question, the, the, um, the title is not so easy to pop a top hat on a Bev skateboard. Um, top hat. That, that needs some explanation. It needs a little <laughs> bit of explanation. Well, in, in automotive terms, top hat is the, is, the, uh, is the body that's placed on the vehicle. So the first part of the article is a little bit of an, sort of an historical overview of you know, how we started with cars, there was a, there was a base, like there was a base for, for the um, horse-drawn carriages. And on top of that, you placed uh, the body. A top hat. Uh, a a top, top hat, <laughs> yeah. So if, if you grew up, like you grew you, up in the early days, <laughs> you grew up with, with a body by Fisher. Uh, Fisher was uh, bought by General Motors. And before that, it, it had been a coach maker. And um, General Motors would initially would farm their, their uh, body building out to Fisher and, and the car would come back with seats and, and, and the, you know, the basic front, the outline of the, of the car. Um, and this was the way that most cars were built in, uh, in the U.S. until the 50s and in, in uh, Europe was uh, maybe to the 30s and 40s. And after that, um, the, the cars moved from this frame base with a, with a body on top to a, what's called a unibody, where the, the frame and the, and the body were, are, are basically one. And that, that's the difference between a, a body on frame and a unibody is, is, uh, is, is this difference. And most cars today, up to the point of, of a Tesla coming back with, with a frame on a body on frame have been unibody. Um, so the, the, the purpose of the article is to establish why electric cars have moved to this, the concept of body on frame and the frame, if you can think of, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a, a Volkswagen with the, with the, with the top, top hat, off, and I use that as the example. My first two cars were were VWs, and when you, when you see one of these, the first thing I thought of when I saw this is it, it looks it looked a lot of years ago. It looked like a skateboard. That term has now been taken by the electric car industry, and the concept that tes Tesla has based its design on, and then all of the electric cars are based on this concept of a an electric skateboard. So if you if you look at at how these cars you know, are built, everything's in the skateboard and the value 
the most of the value of, of a car that's built now for to battery electric vehicle is in that is in that body. It's in the it's in the frame because that's where the batteries are. That's where all of the 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 everything is there. And then you put the put the on top of this. Too, right? The mo- everything yeah the motors are in the wheels. I mean the motor the electric motors are 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 there as well. The drivetrain is there. Everything is there. <clears throat> now, what has what's happened is that everybody and their grandmother has now decided that they can easily be into the to the electric car business because all you need to do is develop a basic frame, put the batteries in, get the get the electric motors working, and then you can provide this to other car manufacturers who want to, to get into the business of making electric cars. Um, and all you need is a body. That's the concept. And that and the values of these companies like NEO and, and uh, Byton and everybody else comes out of, we can provide this to anyone and, and we can also build cars ourselves. So Geely says, well, you know, we're in the business of building electric cars. We've got a we've got a skate electric skateboard. You can put your body on it and you roll away and everything is everything is fine. So you have these enormous valuations, market valuations of companies, a lot of them Chinese, many of them Chinese, um, based on the fact that that uh, anybody can be in the business and you can put this really neat Lamborghini type, Ferrari type body on top of it, and you're good to go. So, you know, you can sell a car for a for million dollars and all you put into it was this basic, basic body. Um, this, this sort of conventional wisdom is, has, has continued, but people are now beginning to understand, and I give examples of, of what's happened with, with companies um, like Ford, for example, uh, Hyundai, who were moving in this direction saying, well, you know, we'll just take the skateboard, we'll put our body on top of it, we'll do some of the electronics and everything. It'll look like a Hyundai and, and it, it'll cost us almost nothing because they did, they did all the work. The problem with that is that they also own all the value in this. But the real problem, and this is, this is what the article is, is fundamentally about, is you can't just put a top hat on a skateboard and say, there's the car because there is so much more involved in the integration of everything that's being done now with drive-by-wire. These companies like Neo and Byton, they have no idea of what, what it takes to create a vehicle that a Bosch and a Continental working together with BMW and Mercedes and, and the, the uh, others, Delco and, and, and you know, the old Elko working in the with the car industry, they spent years developing the integration of everything that's related to drive by wire, integrating that with the vehicle, integrating that inside of the of the the unibody design, and making these cars safe, secure, workable, maintainable over a long period of time. Um, and it it's. It's incredible how how poor the the automotive industry has been about promoting themselves as knowledgeable, um, experienced, having done what they needed to do to get cars to be as safe as they have been, and suddenly they started rushing around and and you know investing in companies that really shouldn't be invested in, 
um, and taking in their products, which they really should never have been even doing. Now they've finally, it looks like they finally gotten the idea. They got the message. No, that's not where we want to go. What we want to do is we want to work with what we have. We want to be able to build on what we've already created. We can make them electric. I mean, that's the least of the the problems. The, the biggest problem is building a car that is safe, is drivable, is secure, can work with everything else that, that needs to be worked with, particularly everything that we're moving toward with more self-driving and driverless. You don't do that by putting a top hat on a skateboard and saying, we're finished. You know, everything else is just you know, icing on the cake, we'll put a couple, couple of, of LIDARs on and some radar here and, you know, everything else will be fine. We just, you know, that's, that's how we deliver a car. That's not the way you deliver a car. So um, there's a lot of detail in the article. It's long. Um, I've decided that it needed to be. And as I said, it's the first part of the series. It's the first piece of what the car industry needs to be thinking about and doing. But the second piece, which comes in October in the next issue, is is a continuation of this. It doesn't stop with just saying we, we're not going to build skate cars based on skateboards. We're going to build cars based on the technology and the knowledge that we've we've had over and put together all of these years to be able to deliver cars that that uh, people will drive and should be driving. Describe for us. I mean, you're, you're going to get into which which companies will be best positioned to, to build future cars, but they've all pretty much, I, I can't think of one that hasn't announced that they're moving to all electric. It, it seems that they've in the next decade or so. Yeah. Um, it's, we have a, we have a, a very good friend together, uh, Fred Dreyer. Um, and, and Fred is, is, is terrific. I mean, I, since I made through, through Alan made contact with Fred, we've been communicating quite often and we send each other material and he sends me an awful lot of, of material about electrification and, and motor, motor operation and operation of, of vehicles. We, we are of the same mind. Battery electric vehicles are not the best solution. They, they just, for many reasons, they're not the best solution for the future. However, for one reason or another, politicians, primarily politicians, and other people working around the politicians and strategists and climatologists have focused on this. In a sense, it's low-hanging fruit. We can make cars electric a lot easier than we can solve the, the, the climate problem. So let's focus on making cars electric and everybody thinks we're doing a great job on the climate problem. Uh, there's nothing we can do about that. We can't, neither Fred nor, nor I nor anybody else working in this industry and, and BMW tried it, Volkswagen tried it, uh, Mercedes to a certain extent tried it saying, it's not electric. I mean, if you wanna solve the problem with the climate, get us down to where we can, you know, we, we don't have to build new infrastructure. We've got the infrastructure, you know, we can, we can, we can reduce the carbon, our carbon footprint. We can reduce emissions. <clears throat> we can do all of this great stuff, but VW unfortunately really messed up. And that was the, that was the spark that lit the flame that, you know, that, that in, it became what it is today. So here we are 
giving rich people lots of money to buy electric and, cars. And by that is diesel gate and by cheating yeah. and yes. by and by yeah. adopting uh, and embracing this uh, this sustainability yeah. when yeah. in fact they were faking it. Yeah. And they didn't and have it's to something fake it. that that all of us need to stop in all of these directions because boy yeah. those things just ruin everything and it's and, and go ahead keep going yeah. Michael. Well the the thing is that that we are at a we are at a point right now where no one is able to stand up and say, "Look, stop this." We, you know, we can't do it. We haven't been able to do it in in Europe. We haven't been able to do it in the United States. Even though there are plenty of people who believe that we shouldn't be doing what we're doing, but promoting electric cars. It's expensive to, to build a completely new infrastructure to get, to do everything that we're doing right now. We could get there in a better way, but. Right now, everybody's buying electric cars. And in fact, they're not, sorry, they're not buying electric cars. All the car companies are continuing to build enough electric cars to keep their their name on the, you know, people's top head so they keep buying their stock. But they have to continue to produce non-electric cars because that's what people continue to buy. I mean, if that's, even though you think everybody's buying electric cars, they're not. I mean, the majority, the vast majority of cars that are being bought all over the world are not electric cars. But Volvo and, and you know, Mercedes and all of the other companies are saying by 2025 or 2035 or 2040, we're going to stop building electric cars. There's an awful lot that can happen between now and then, but they're building electric cars. And if, you know, from, from the standpoint of, of almost every standpoint, except safety, I think I've said this before, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy an electric car and I, would, I don't want to drive an electric car because I don't trust the batteries. I mean, they, they're, they're dangerous. Um, but people are buying them and they're happy with them and they think they're great. And I mean, I get messages all the time from folks who say, you know, I, I know you're critical of electric cars, but I love my electric car and I don't mind, you know, taking a, a two hour break in the, uh, when I'm driving down to, to my, my friend's house, you know, it's okay. And I save a lot of money, even though they don't save a lot of money because they don't really know how much money it's costing them. But that's where we are today. Electric or, cars. Or it's not only costing them, co- costing somebody else. And, and of course the question is the electricity you're using could somebody, something else that's using electricity that is now really using electricity that is burning coal to yep. get that electricity, could they be using that electricity and therefore not burn as much coal? I mean, if you really want to get down and, and discuss those things, you know, that we are, we are, we are constrained by the amount of electricity that can be produced, not only by renewable sources, which we're trying to increase and so on as much as we can, but by whatever sources. So if all of a sudden you have now a new demand on that electricity by something else that was using something that was, well, it wasn't as good as as the best of the electricity, it certainly is better than the worst of the electricity. So that's not taken into account. The issue batteries we've made a lot of progress on batteries batteries have always been the limiting factor <laughs> their batteries are really tough a lot of you know edison everybody worked on batteries everybody wanted to do batteries because they they almost look like the perpetual motion machine almost sure. you know i mean they're, they're, whatever when you break you charge them back up when you you know i mean there, there's just so many wonderful things about 
but batteries have a little bit of a lot of excess baggage on them and uh, you know the fire one is is one of them and so on and needs to be worked on and we, we've got work to do so you know it's not a done deal and i think you know what fred points out what you point out what when i try to point out look um, let's take a little deep breath maybe maybe an electric motor really is. I mean, when you think about an electric motor that it doesn't require a transmission, I mean that is that is a fundamentally good thing about it. Okay, that that that's really helps. Otherwise, you know, the, the current way we do this, we have to you know, we have to figure out based on RPMs and and wheel turnings. You know, where in the heck we are on these things. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, that that is an enormous savings. And, and uh, but you know, it comes with some baggage, and we have to look at the baggage. And I, I agree with you; we're not quite there, quite there yet. And of course, it brings us to the Tesla issue. The Tesla issue is out there because it's been sort of this um, this uh, wonderful uh, pet, uh, emergence. Um, m- created by making a a lot of and looking backwards excellent decisions by elon Uh, who would have thought that you know you really if you do put together a a charging network if you do go after the, the 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 people that already have a bunch of cars so that you know the the limitations and the range anxiety isn't there because my goodness if you really want to go far you'll use your your other cars in your stable and this is in, in a sense a toy and you start with that and you do all and you can and you get the press to to give you all the free ink you want to continue to promote the product and um, you know you you work hard and you 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 do work hard and you do make it happen and you 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 have bring a lot of very bright people together in a sense but it's taken you know how many right decisions together to get to this point anybody else trying to compete with them at, at some point you know they're not going to make all those same right decisions and they're they're going to trip up and i think you know you pointed out a couple of them and you know and what you just said earlier well, if if the um, if the authorities had had hadn't been cowed by by Musk, and I think that's his, his principal advantage in this. Uh, that was taken, a good call by him. I mean, you know, he, I mean, but he, he, many yeah, many yeah, calls. Yeah, many what calls. He's, yeah. What he's done is essentially said, "You're not smart enough to argue with me. I know what I'm doing. You don't. So even though you think that I'm not doing something that's safe, trust me." And even if you don't trust me, you'll have to believe me because I'm smarter than you are. I mean, he's he's basically used that ruse yeah. from the from the from the the get go. Yeah. I mean, he didn't invent anything that goes into Tesla. Yeah. Everything was done either was done there before, or has has been been used. I mean, looking at a Tesla with the top hat off, it looks like a Volkswagen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. It's <laughs> basically that's that's all that's all it is. He had his his contribution was the, the concept of the business model. And he's, he put everybody else in business because he gave away the patents on, on what, on the skateboard and let everybody say, you know, think about that as the, that's the business, but 
that's not the business model. That's not what he, the business he's in. It's not building skateboards. Yeah. In fact, he, he's now started to, to look at a, at a unibody design because he's understood that, that that silly design he's got now isn't going to, you know, it, people are not going to continue to be fooled by that, that concept. And also it was his skateboard and his company and he controlled it. Okay. It wasn't somebody else's skateboard that he bought yep. sort of yes. on the side and he, exactly. he went in there. I mean, he, I don't know. Somebody should start looking. Maybe you have to compare him to Henry Ford, you know, Henry, Henry put everything together to be able to build the car. It wasn't just the assembly line. He, yep. you know, he did, he, he fully integrated. And if you look, sort of look at Tesla, it's fully integrated and, and now, if you look at the whole AI thing, you and and so on, and uh, you know, I was blown away by his AI day. I, I just think that that uh, you know what he's what he's done in in that thing is he's I've I've said he's building the 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 pans and the shovels for the gold for the gold rush. Now, my goodness, if he's also going to build the pans and the shovels to do this. And, you know, he's he's out there also prospecting and building out. My goodness. Whoa. It's it's not no longer a car company. It it now becomes uh, who knows. So, so in a sense, you know, he can now address all kinds of things. I mean, you know, you start getting exoflops of computing, you know, 10 to the 18th floating point instructions per second. You know, look, know. if if. Yeah. The thing that I, I have to come back to this. Yeah. Okay. We will come we have, back to it. We have I've, a. We have I've now lured a you in. <laughs> we had, we now have a regulation. It's it's UN regulation one fifty seven, for for auto, automatic lane keeping systems. Mm-hmm. If that were enforced in the United States, mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's not. It hasn't been adopted yet for the United States. It's been accepted in, in countries where there there is is um, type approval, mm-hmm. but if if that were adopted in the United States, he wouldn't be able to sell a single autopilot. He wouldn't be able to sell a car that had anything that had autopilot or full driving, whatever it's called, because it would fail. Those those cars that are out there don't pass muster when it comes to doing what they should doing. And then there's the, the other article in the which I urge people to read is the is the article about handing over control from the robot, and Tesla is the worst. They haven't even had anything like like uh, Cadillac or or GM has had with being able to monitor what what the person is doing to be able to take back control. In the next month's issue, I'm going to talk about you know Tesla Tesla getting to the fork in the road, and you know you. Yogi Berra said his advice to anybody, you know, when you get to the fork in the road, take it. Well, this is the, the car didn't didn't take it, didn't take any advice. He just went straight into a, into a boulder. Yeah, know, well, OK. Well, five five uh, cars did this. Five yeah. different Teslas, all at the same fork. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, 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 look. But 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 come on. I guess you, you've uh, yeah. The couple of ish- things there to me. The one thing that he, the ace that he has up his sleeve, what I would call the ace up the sleeve, is over the air updating. Okay. So, in a sense, what I think he's been selling is he's been selling the thing 
that it it doesn't have working well yet. But that thing can, can accept software. It's configurable. And he can reconfigure that sucker. Bam. And that ability to reconfigure, once he gets to the point that it can pass, he can then, everything that's out there, quote unquote, everything that's out there, he can now bring to pass, which is which is a fundamental problem that the ind- the auto industry has had up to this point in time. Whatever you took out of the, the dealership, you were stuck with. Oh, yeah. I mean, they did a recall and they replaced a switch or something like that, whatever. And, and holy hell, I mean, infinite expense, right, to fix it. He can fix it just like we do with our phones. I mean, you know, this thing's been wanting to re-update itself last three nights, and I haven't let it. But you know, it's there. I why mean, haven't that, Why haven't uh, you let it? Because because I it isn't power. It, I didn't power, I didn't plug it in. <laughs> you know? Okay. Well, listen. You know, you know uh, I mean, you know, every and, and maybe. I'm, I've updated this sucker twice. Yeah. And both times it screwed up mightily things that were already there. (laughs) Okay. You know, you and I know know, every time I update my, my computer with something, I have to figure out a way of getting it not to print to to OneNote and to print to the printer because for some reason it decides to do something. I mean, we know that there are problems with with over-the-air updating. And I I agree with you. Yeah, nothing's perfect. I agree. Nothing's perfect, especially Tesla. The the press Tesla has gotten, and when you talk to owners, they seem to be pretty happy about the the concept and and the way it's... If you paid $100,000... I go go out to my car... I yeah, go if you paid a hundred thousand for a car, yeah. if, if you if someone were able to get a hundred thousand dollars out of you to buy a car, which is I mean, if you look at that car compared to to a well designed car, and the, and you're riding in a well designed car, if you if you spend a hundred thousand dollars to buy that thing, or even eighty thousand dollars, are you going to say, boy, was I stupid? That was so dumb. I mean, this <laughs> oh, car I mean, is car yeah. is a piece of crap. No, you're not. I'm really happy with this. Yeah, it has a few problems, but I'm not. Do I look like a dummy? You know, I mean, that's why would the I, brilliance why would of I the bought that? Why would that's I bought that, that car if it, if, if it was going to be a bad car? I mean, they are they are facing a lawsuit from an attorney who purchased a car and paid six thousand dollars for full self driving. Yeah, a lot more oh, expensive man. now. Wait, 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 couple, wait, wait. Couple years Fred, later, Fred, he Fred, Fred, Wait, 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 wait. I mean, an attorney. I mean. Come on, an attorney doesn't read fine print. Are you well, joking? He's suing now. I mean, <laughs> yeah. holy mackerel. Come on, this is such a setup. It's unbelievable. I can't believe the New York Times put that in there. I mean, come on, Neil. Uh, you, you, you can't you can't put that. Uh, yeah, whatever. I'm sorry. I, I don't know. <laughs> can't make this stuff up. Well, but look, I, you know, I think I, I would think that if Elon offered a offered to, hey, you want your money back? Here's your money back. Nobody, nobody, 10% of the customers will want no, their money back. No, what? no. Yeah, for no, the reasons you just said. He doesn't do it. You know, he's had I don't plenty know why he doesn't. Well, the reason he doesn't do it is he's getting so much free press out of this. He's yeah. getting so many eyeballs. He's getting so much free ink. I mean, why not keep the discussion going? He's laughing. All, he's laughing all the way to the bank. Sure. Okay. 
I, and I think he knows what he's doing. And even now that the, the things oh, yeah. that are coming out now, he's saying, you know, full self driving really isn't any good and all that stuff. And hey, he could turn it around instantaneously. And if they come down and say, hey, um, you, you have to turn it off, turn it off. You can't turn it on until you but fine, whatever. I, I don't know. I, I think he's in good position. Oh, yeah, I agree. He'd be in better. He's going to be in a really big position when he finally gets to Mars, I think. <laughs> I'm going with him too. <laughs> uh, damn it! I'm not going to live that long. I'm sorry. Boom. On that note, we'll be back with more. But first, this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. On the website, look for a white paper. It's called The Smart Transportation Revolution. You'll find it under the Insights and News tab. There's information there to help you make informed decisions about investing. You may know that ETFs can be a smart way to spread risk with investments, focus on a particular category of stocks. The website, again, is MOTOETF.com. We're back with more of the Smart Driving Cars podcast and our guest, Michael Senna, publisher of The Dispatcher, Michael, in the latest edition, you write about Socrates 2.0. Tell us, for those of us on this side of the pond, what the project is all about and the significance. Well, the project started, um, well, it, was, it was supposed to be a three-year project, but then they got caught in the, in the COVID. Um, the idea was to develop a, a pan-European approach to how public authorities and private businesses could work together to improve traffic, traffic conditions, um, everything related to, to road usage, safety, um, sustainability, etc. Um, the, the project Socrates was, was a project in the, in the late uh, 1980s, early 1990s. And, and when I came to work at Volvo, in 1992, we were sort of at the tail end of the of the Socrates project, and um, back then the whole idea of of automation and and how na the coming navigation systems would be able to work and how traffic information would be able to improve the the flow of traffic was something that was very important. And now they've taken this as Socrates 2.0 and extended that with with the the knowledge and, and experience that we've had during these last, um, well, 20 years, 30, almost 30 years. Um, they asked me, the, the group asked me to be an advisor, a, a, a not a technical advisor, but more of a, of a strategic advisor to look at what they were developing and to, to provide comments. Um, I did this with the first uh, say the first drafts of the of the report that came out. We had a meeting. It was two years ago. Had a meeting um, in which I said, I, mean, "I think everything you're doing is terrific. the the uh, The concept that you have of of testing this in four different areas, four different cities, is is uh, is great. You'll be able to hopefully get good feedback. Um, but I think." you're sort of missing a little piece here. And the piece is that it doesn't seem that you're working very closely with the, with the car companies. 
you've got BMW is on is on your on your team, um, but the car companies are bigger than BMW, and and it you know it would seem to me that that if you're going to be working with traffic information, traffic information starts with the car. It doesn't start with the with the with the road authorities, and it doesn't it doesn't certainly doesn't start with the the folks who are putting databases together. It starts in the car. And if you don't have the, the information that's coming out of the car, you need to, to think about how you're, you know, how you're going to do that. Um, and I also said that, that there are different ways of, of approaching this problem. And it's not just one size fits all. Not only are there different cities, different sizes of cities, Gothenburg's you know, a lot smaller, maybe half the size of Stockholm, and there are different problems in both of these. And it has a lot to do with not only the, the form of the city, but the size of the city and how things work. And Sweden is different from, from France and definitely different from Italy. So taking all of these things into to account. And I, and I gave an example of how there were differences in the way that you, could, you work. And, I, and in our meeting, I said, you know, there's one is that you kind of wave and say, hi, you know, hi, I'm over here, you're over there. How are you doing? Everything's fine. You know, can I help you out? The second is you come over to the person and you say, I'm, I'm here right now. I can help you. And you're shaking hands with that person. So you're getting a bit closer. And the next one is that you, the pre-COVID times, you give everybody a, a big hug and you're working, you're working almost, you know, your buddies and you're working in the same place. They took this, they took this concept very simple that I use as an example, and they ran with it. And they developed from that, from that point, they developed a, a way of sharing data, creating data that's a, commun a community, and then coordinating the work of, of the groups who are working together. So at the, at the farthest end, everybody who is working together, they've got a, a base, they've got the same database, they're, they're sharing information, they're working on this, on delivering data together to the vehicles, to the pedestrians and everyone. At the other end, they're simply sharing information. I have this information, I'm gonna share it with you, you do whatever, whatever you want with it. And I look at this project and how they've, over these, these four years that they've worked on it, for me, this is the most significant piece of work that's been done within the, the framework of the, of the European Commission funding projects, or even of the, the country's funding projects. They've, they've taken this from beginning to end, and it's the, what they've come up with is really, really useful. Next step is, is hopefully to do the, what they couldn't do during the, the COVID days, which is just to get more into the cities, to do more of testing and hopefully get more of the, uh, the car companies involved. So it's, it's a fantastic piece of work. And, you know, I hope everybody will read about it and then look for more information on it because I think they've done a great job. And, and for drivers, will they be seeing uh, a difference soon or when does this, is it implemented or? No, no, it's not. It's not implemented. Well, like most of these projects, they they they're, they go through a period where there's a, a concept, there's an idea, there's a proof of concept, and then each one. Th th this isn't going to end up with there's a, there's a you know there's a single body that's doing all this. And that's again, this is the approach that they're taking. It doesn't have to be one solution. It's it's different types of solutions, appropriate solutions based on on this. Um, so hopefully the next step is that, that the car companies and the, the public authorities 
and I know at least one of them, it's the Swedish authority who's going to be working with this concept and trying to develop solutions that are based on the on the approach. It's an approach. It's how the you know how to look at this problem and then how to take it from there. Will the will the individuals in a car see a result of this within the next year? No. Uh, within the next five years, hopefully, yes. Alan, in the latest Smart Driving Cars newsletter, you start out with an apology for suggesting that plus AI was totally irresponsible for testing without a driver. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have to apologize because they're not totally irresponsible. I guess they're just irresponsible, I guess, <laughs> um, you know, because in fact, um, you know, my, my totally irresponsibility was the, to go out there and do testing without a driver on public streets when where you, Fred, and Michael, we might be out there and, and endangering us. So they didn't do that. They didn't even do that in China. I'm not to suggest that it's a better thing to do in China than in Sweden or the U.S. It's it's not. You know, I mean, when one's doing testing, one should also have some safety back uh, backstops to be able in case something happens. In case you know, as I like to say, Mother Nature throws you the a spitter and you know, that thing bound it, curving all over the place and you, you don't hit it so you know you really there's there's no reason to do testing without an attendant okay a person sitting there waiting ready to take over you know you can still run your test well i guess it but, turns but, out this wasn't a public road that they were so testing so on. so you know what they did is they they, they apparently did it without anybody on board I guess, at least that's what they tell us. But I guess we can't believe much of what they tell us because it turns out that they did this on, on, a, on an expressway that had yet to open. So, of course, uh, we couldn't have been out there. The public wasn't out there. So it's not really what they said, you know, on a traffic-filled whatever uh, or implied or more than implied said. You know, this, this stuff, when it works, it has to work in reality. It can't work in imaginary uh, or in, 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 you know, some sort of confines that aren't where, in fact, you're generating your revenue out of, if you're going to run a business doing it. So, I mean, so that they're still, still irresponsible. And, and so, you know, they did this. So why didn't they tell us they did this? Okay, and that you know, if in fact the darn thing did run without anybody intervening and the attendant didn't need to be there, we'll just tell us and then we'll say, hey, I guess it worked. But you should still have the, 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 the attendant in there in the first place, but apparently they did. Now, they had a couple of chase vehicles that maybe some people in the chase vehicles, you know, were seeing what was inside and what was happening and they were, they had the red button ready to hit it. You know, when, when, when the DARPA challenge was going, you know, DARPA officials were out there with kill switches. You had to put in your vehicle a communication system such that somebody could kill it if the thing went nuts. Of course, ours went nuts after 9.8 miles and they killed it appropriately, okay? Why, hey, we, one line of code, we would have been there, but we, we didn't do the garbage collection. So we were watching, you know, 250,000 obstacles that we had seen up to now, still tracking them. Of course, we ran out of memory. Okay, fine. Well, that's, that's what you do tests for. 
to, to, to know what you don't know, to learn what you don't know, to fix it, to be able to do it. And so to be out there. And so you, you then begin to wonder. And then, you know, they show you this wonderful video and you start looking at it. And you, you start looking at some shadows that are in the video. And you kind of say to yourself, well, my goodness, over how, how long of a trip was this? Because on part of the trips, the darn thing is casting a big shadow. Another part of the trip, it's not casting much of a shadow. I don't know. If you're in China, do you move the sun around to be able to see how much shadow you're going to Who knows? And then you look at it and you say, geez, you know, did you Photoshop cars in there to make it look like there was traffic and so on? And you, you go, yikes, can I believe any of this garbage? Okay, and come on, you know, this is tough. We can't fake it. Because in the end, or I guess, I don't know, if you're, if you're building a company to flip it, okay, then fine. All you need is a story. If you're building a company that is at some point going to generate revenues and you're actually going to earn it, then you got to do it. And, and, you know, what's all this fake stuff going on? And so it's just driving me nuts, and there are a lot of people that are working darn hard to try to do this. And everybody's seeing it's darn hard, including Elon. And everybody's, and at least some people are out there, you know, continuing to roll up their sleeves, trying to make it happen and trying to do it. But my goodness, we have to be honest about this. We can't have diesel gates on these things. We can't have Fukushima's. We can't have Chernobyls. We can't have, you know, three mile islands. Because if we do, then, you know, it's going to go poof. And I guess here you're only hurting investors and maybe they deserve to be hurt because, you know, they're just investors. I don't know. I'm frustrated by the whole thing. But maybe we should get back to some more things in, on Michael's dispatcher because they're much more interesting <laughs> than, than the stuff that the, the other stuff that's going on. I mean, you know, Michael, you know, uh, he's yeah, 42 is October. the answer, right? Michael, <laughs> 42 is the answer, isn't it? 42 is the answer, yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> but we go on that a little bit, Michael. <laughs> oh, the, yeah, I, 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 uh, I said that the, the, the musings, my, my la the, the last article is <coughs> usually something where I, I take, take a, some, some time to reflect and maybe a little bit of, of philosophizing or, or thinking beyond just cars and wheels and so on. Um, this musing is intended to open the question to where we're, where we're going to live and where maybe we should be living and puts out the idea that um, we've created these huge cities and maybe there was a reason for the creation and we know what that reason was and that reason doesn't really exist to the same extent as it, as it did 120 years ago or 140 years ago when the Industrial Revolution needed to, to get as many people in one place to be able to have enough workers for the factories and we we discuss paris and london and <clears throat> cities as as being these these cultural centers they, they didn't they didn't start as cultural centers they started 
because factories were there and places were needed, people were needed to work in these. I mean, New York City was 30,000 people at uh, around 1776. Um, it wasn't a cultural center. And 100 years later, the population had, had increased to, I don't know, 300,000 300, people or you know, turn of the century, 1900s, a million people. I mean, the thing is that, that those people weren't there to, to, to go to vaudeville. They weren't there to see, you know, see plays being put on and, and operas being, being, um, being um, played. They were there to work. And the, the same is true in, in the, these large Chinese cities. These, you know, there, are more, there are more cities of, that are larger than New York in China than there are anywhere else I mean, combined anywhere else in the world. So what we have also seen is that, that they're difficult to keep clean. They're difficult in terms of crime. They're difficult for a lot of reasons. They're also not the best places to be able to move around in and, and to be able to do what you need to do. And we've seen this during the period of COVID. Those who could left. You know, they either they went to their their parents' house or they went to their summer house. So they went they left and they and they did things that they needed to do in, in different places and they didn't need to be in the city. So the question is, should we be thinking about you know, the future of transportation, the future of humanity, the future of society in relation to cities that are 10, 30, 20, 30 million people. Do we need to have those? Or should we be looking at ways of going back to a period of time when towns and cities were being planned for 30, 50, 150, maybe 200,000, which is certainly enough to be able to have a an opera and a theater and so on. Uh, and we've we've seen how we can we can do things that we didn't think we could do by not being in a large city. And what I use just to keep people reading is the series, the the um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series that was written by Douglas Adams. But, but may, I, may I interrupt here for a second? Sure. Because I, sure. I want to pick up on, on what you just said, because yep. you just you just turned upside down, you know, the some of the thoughts going into before COVID about smart cities. I mm-hmm. mean, everybody was talking about, you know, more Chinese like uh, um, the Emirates like uh, towers and everybody crowded in. You know, it, it was interesting to me to look at those things and saying all the all the architecture folks and you're educated in architecture. I'm not so, but I mm-hmm. throw some stones here, you know, arch- yeah. showing these glass buildings going and all these little these things that they build in New York, these little slender little thingies yeah. that must go. Does anybody, never mind yeah. as, as, as the way the, the internet of things, uh, whatever, anytime anybody showed any of those things, you, what would they show? They showed that they showed some sort of high speed 
thing that where everybody's crushed and they get, must be crushed in together to get anybody. Mm-hmm. And then, the, then there were always, you know, two white people on bicycles, you know, with, with blonde hair outside. And that's all you saw. You never yeah. saw any people yeah. except for the two white people with the blonde hair. What, yeah. the, what, what was going on with the architecture, smart cities folks that saying that that's where we're going. We're not going there anymore. You're telling you're, you're uh, suggesting, Michael, what are you doing? I, yeah. I wasn't, I never went there. I mean, I've, I've lived, I, I spent a lot of time when I grew up. Brooklyn was the was the sort of the second place. That's where the majority of my father's family was. So we were in New York and we're in Brooklyn. And then when I was seven years, I was in Princeton. I was in New York a lot because of my my first cousin, same age, went to Columbia. So I was there, you know, every at least once a month, and I'd stay there. And for those seven years, I spent a lot of time in in New York. And when I graduated, I went to London. I lived in London for four years. I mean, I, so cities, I, I've spent a lot of time in cities and big cities, not just little cities, but but big cities. And then I, then I lived in Stockholm for, for a period of time. Um, I don't live in a city. And, and, and I really, I grew up in the middle of a city of 125,000 people at the time. It's now, it's now about 80,000 people. And I thought that size of a city was just fine. I, there wasn't anything that I needed that I couldn't have had, even today at 80,000, but it was built for 140,000. But still, I can get everything I need. And if I, if I really need something more, then I can go to something place that's a little bit larger. But do I need to live in a city of 10 million, 50 million people, you know, 30 million people? I've spent a lot of time in Shanghai. Would I live in Shanghai? <laughs> Not on a bet. I mean, it's why? Because I because it's great restaurants and they're great bars and they're great, you know, this all of this stuff. No, I mean, people people have different lives. People, have, you know, you you have a life. You want to go fishing. You want to have a barbecue. You want to you know meet your friends. Uh, Brooklyn is two million over two million people. It's the it would be the fourth largest city in the United States if it was still a city. It's got a baseball team. It's got a bat. I think it's no, it doesn't have a baseball team. Yeah. You used, used to have a baseball team. Right? Used to be my favorite team yeah. when I was growing up. Yeah. Ebbets Field. But they've yeah. got a really good basketball team. Um, you know, it's the two million people, it's it's probably too big. And it's probably got too many people, you know, too many hipsters have moved moved in. Um but 10 million, 20 million, 30 million. I mean, do we really need this kind of stuff? We've got a lot of land. We could do a lot more with what, what it is that we have. And we could certainly have a lot better lives. And we wouldn't have to be worrying about the kinds of things that we are worrying about today, like you know, hyperloops. Getting from, from New York to, to Chicago, who, who needs to go there? I don't need to go there every day. You know, I need to get from where I where I'm living to where I'm working, and if and if you know if, if that trip is more than than uh, fifty kilometers or forty kilometers, it's too long. So that's that's what I've put out there. That what I'm saying is smart cities. And I never that's cities for me. Cities, the people. It's the people who are living in cities who are who are either smart or they're not so smart. And we have good cities that are well maintained and well managed. We have other cities that aren't. So whether people are smart or not smart doesn't really matter. But the cities themselves, no. Uh, yeah, I've been. I, I've for some time also been sort of on that. That, that really we need the we need the 
maybe smart villages or whatever, but that's yeah. only because I've lived in the Princeton bubble for now. <laughs> one of the fastest years. One of the fastest uh, growing cities in, and, in, in New Jersey, I think, Alan. <laughs> anyway, so what the hell do I know? So I can't say this and that, but uh, it's, it's always, it's all, so go back. So now, sorry to interrupt, but really no, to me, to that, me, I agree. I just don't understand. I've, said this in my classes i just don't understand why the you know the chinese have taken you know basically half their population and stuck them in towers now maybe i can maybe we could that's justifiable because we need them as workers to produce and make the stuff that we need but yeah but in fact you know there are there are economies of scale when you could do that kind of thing but but, but why does Goldmine Sachs bring everybody into lower Manhattan to do what trade on, on a, on a screen? Are you, why do they do that? And, Did you and, say gold, uh, gold I, mine? Did you say gold mine Sachs? Uh, uh, no, I meant, uh, what's their name? I did say gold mine. Uh, you know, one of, one of my students, one of my seniors, uh, she she was an intern at, at she told me this was on Zoom with her. She was an intern at Goldmine this summer. They had them in there. They they had all the interns, everybody in there was all crowded. What the hell? Really? I don't know. I guess um, what I guess if you're going to work an intern 14 hours a day, Xerox singers, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, Never but you can't, as I said in one of the previous uh, dispatchers, you can't build a car remotely. Right. right. You, you, just, you, you can't design it. Right. You can't test it. You, 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 you can't dig a ditch remotely. So they're, they're, you know, the real That's people right. who do real work have to go to where the work is. You know, exactly. some of us can sit there, you know, in here and just to, to do and zoom it out, but to, go ahead. Yeah. But we have, we've had in, in, uh, in Sweden, we've had two quite large vehicle manufacturers, one Volvo cars, and the other Volvo trucks in a city that says the city itself of, of a couple of hundred thousand and the region of about half, half a million people. We don't need a city of 30 million people to support companies that do what they do, particularly not today with, with the amount of robots that are being used in, these, in the mm -hmm. production of these vehicles. Mm -hmm. China has done what they've done pull people out of this their, out of their farms put them in cities so they could be the factory of the world and that's that's what they do you go there and you see everybody's working and you don't what you don't see is in sort of the edges where Volvo's ha Volvo has their facilities in the edges where the factories are in the middle of Shanghai you don't see you don't see many factories although they're there as well mostly hidden behind the walls but if you get a little bit further out from the center of, of Shanghai you see all of these people working in factories and they need those number of people to produce all those hats that we buy you know those baseball hats that you buy for your team coming from China and the and you know I, I tried to buy a, a set of earphones for the Bluetooth earphones don't even think about buying something that wasn't produced in China. So if everything is being produced there, they need everybody to work in the cities. This is where we were in 1900 in the United States. And this is why New York became what it did and why Detroit became what it did and why all of these other cities became what they did. And now you look at Detroit, okay, 
Detroit doesn't it doesn't need two and a half million people to work in the in those factories anymore. And that's why it's not it doesn't have two and a half million people anymore. You know, it's got I don't know seven hundred thousand people in the in in what was a two and a half million sized town. Uh, and the same is true with with Scranton. You know, all those half of the people they weren't half of the people weren't working in the mines, but they were working in factories. You know, my father worked in the Scranton Lace Works. Scranton Lace Works has been empty for the last 50 years. You know, we don't make lace that way anymore. But there were factories that were were in these towns. Trenton had factories, I think, as well. Uh, Absolutely. At some point. Um, you know, those factories don't exist anymore. First, they moved to South, then they moved to, to Mexico, and then they f- eventually they moved to, to China. The, the, the motto of Trenton was Trenton makes, the, the world, world takes. takes. That's you right. Know? I mean, of course. Yeah. Uh, I think it's still on the bridge there. Whatever. It's still on the bridge. Yeah. It's still on the bridge. You started to mention Douglas Adams. Yes. yes. We don't want to wrap up without you finishing that thought. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, um, I listened to the Douglas, to the Douglas Adams, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <clears throat> when it, when it started, it was a it was a radio a BBC radio program, and I was living in in Cambridge, and we had W uh, WCR uh, WGBH, uh, the National Public Radio, which had recently started in the United States, um, and I I just got hooked on these on the Hitchhiker's Guide Guide to the Galaxy. There were two books that he eventually wrote, Douglas Adams, who produced and, and, uh, and wrote these series. And then he wrote two more, three more books in the series. Um, if you haven't read the books, I really suggest that you do. If, you know, you don't have to be a geek. Maybe I'm a geek, but I, you don't have to be a geek to read these books and enjoy them. My wife is not a geek and she listened to them on, on the tapes and she thought they were absolutely fantastic. So a normal people with at least a brief, you know, sense of humor can listen to these and, and get a lot out of them. There's so much, particularly for anyone who's in the business of travel and transport, because Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is really exactly what it says you're going to move all over the galaxy and beyond that to the universe in all kinds of different vehicles. But eventually you're always gonna come back to the same place, the place where you call home, wherever that is, whatever end of the galaxy, whether it's with Ford Prefect in Betelgeuse or Arthur Dent in, um, in Islington or his little town and where he's gotten out of the city and is trying to live his life before the Vogons want to put a bypass through it. Um, I really suggest it's, it's worth spending some time reading them. Highly humorous, lots of information that comes out. That's why we love having you with us, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> One last story, Alan. Waymo has begun offering free rides in its autonomous cars in San Francisco. It's an all-electric Jaguar with, with safety drivers, of course, on board. This is, this is new there, but they're carrying passengers for the first time in their testing in the city. Yeah, I, I think it's great that they're doing that. And, and of course, uh, you know, what I want them to do or somebody to do is, you know, come to a real place that really need, uh, has people that need mobility and to the, and the come to Trenton to do it. 
and uh, and the Trentons of this world. Again, uh, if they're doing it in the places of San Francisco, where in fact the uh, the auto ownership is low, and uh, you don't have great Muni service and 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 uh, Bart service then fantastic. Then in fact, you're out there providing a real improvement in the mobility opportunities so that you can travel through the universe and hitchhike through the universe uh, much more easily and better. And, and hopefully uh, out of that, uh, the only reason you do it is to improve your life. So you're improving your life almost by definition. I mean, if, if going someplace doesn't improve your life, guess what? You shouldn't be going and you probably aren't going. Okay, I mean, the only reason we go any place is to improve our lives. Otherwise, why would we incur the burden? I mean, fundamental economics, everybody's brain, I think, works that way and, and, and so on. But uh, that's, but again, you know, as we've discussed, um, Chandler is a great place to test because it's, let's say, easy, maybe. The operational design domain is easy. The problem is, is, is uh, the competition is out there with uh, everybody has more cars than they know what to do with. So, you know, uh, bring something else. It's going to be looked at as a, as a Disneyland ride. Great. I'll take one, but whatever. And this is going to be the focus of uh, the next, for instance, smart driving cars. Well, thing? yeah, the, the idea is, is that my goodness, uh, maybe these, these manufacturers should come someplace where in fact, you know, the, the provision of the mobility that they're really trying to provide, apparently the value proposition of what Waymo is, is trying to do, which is driverless mobility, and let's move from the technology. What is it? What's the value proposition? The value proposition must, to me, must be affordable, high quality, or let's start with high quality, affordable, uh, uh, equitable, sustainable mobility for all. I mean, to me, that's what the package is. So if that's the package, you know, where, where is that? What marketplace is, is most likely to benefit from it? Well, let's go someplace where, you know, where the mobility isn't also good for folks and, 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 and let's provide it there. And I'll argue that, you know, those places are all you need to do is go to the census data and, and ask what the, uh, you know, look up where the, uh, 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 the household car ownership values are, you know, if, if, if the households have, you know, two or more cars, 70% of the households in Chandler have two or more cars, my goodness. Uh, yeah, there are still the 30% with one or fewer uh, out of the one or fewer, how many are the, are the ones or one person households, you know, never mind. we won't go to the details of the decimal points here, but, you know, I'm only looking at, 30% of the, of the market, whereas in a Trenton where, you know, 30% of the, uh, 70% of the population has one or fewer cars, you know, I have 70% of the population that I can go out there and provide mobility for. And so let me look there to, to be able to do it. And, 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 and that's sort of the focus that we've had, uh, we had with the last summit. And I guess, uh, I guess uh, to me that the technology has evolved enough that we really need to now make a push 
to have these technology companies uh, come to a place where where good mobility isn't available uh, and and try it there and do it there and and to sort of encourage them to do that. Uh, what I've argued is that we have to basically build a field of dreams, not only have the, the, the demand, the problem to, to solve, but also the welcoming that has to come uh, uh, to uh, allow a solution to possibly emerge. And the welcoming is really important. And the welcoming is not only from the top of the decision uh, uh, pyramid, but also from the bottom. So I think that in New Jersey, we are finally having, you know, the, the top of the pyramids, uh, uh, including the departments of transportation and, and, and political offices, top and bottom, as well as the community uh, uh, saying, my goodness, uh, uh, we, we would like you to come. We're going to make it easy for you to come. It's so easy for one of these communities to say, you know, when somebody, when a, when, when somebody from, from the outside comes in, you know, basically, the, I don't think so. Or you have to go over these hurdles. And of course, nobody from the outside will come in and try anything. But I think here we finally have a, an opportunity in, in Trenton, in Central Jersey, in New Jersey, to have a welcoming environment. So these technologists who who aren't uh, using smoke and mirrors or who, who aren't lying, cheating and stealing to come in and, and actually, you know, uh, see if they can deliver on what they're supposed to be delivering is, of course, safe, high quality, affordable, equitable, sustainable mobility for all. So if you can do that, uh, come to the summit. Uh, uh, Come tell us about it. Uh, we're going to do the, the fifth Smart Driving Car Summit uh, on November 2nd through the, through the 5th. Uh, and we're going to do it and see if, if some folks really show up. I think we'll have the, the welcoming um, entourage there to welcome everybody who, who, who would like to think they, they, they can do that. And uh, uh, we would like you to come in here and... Uh, and um, and see what you can actually do as opposed to telling us about what you know what you think you can do or and please don't bring the smoke and mirrors don't don't not, not allowed not the allowed place to go for, no, keep an no, eye out at smartdrivingcar.com for for info as it evolves and we get closer but uh this is really going to happen. Very yeah, exciting. I mean, we're really, I mean, you know, we really want to do it. And, and this is to finally do it. And, um, and, um, and I, I, we wanted, we want to see if we can make that happen. Michael, what do you think? I think it's great. I think it's, we, we had our four months of or almost five months of smart driving car in um, starting in December of last year and carrying through to uh, April of this year. Um, Alan, you and I have agreed that we're we're going to try to put this and document this, and also to to sort of put all of the information together that in one place where we can um, explain why we're why we're doing this and and what we expect to be the outcome in a in a book. 
uh, which which we've been working on. So um, getting the people together as soon as possible, just to get them thinking about how this can move move forward, how we can do a real proof of concept, how we can get the, um, the people who are needed to provide the tools. That's an, that's a, essential because we we can't do this without having something that we can actually work with. We can't we can't mock up a driverless car um, <clears throat> and and test the whole concept of providing mobility for the non-mobile. Um, so I think getting them together and, and putting this in front of them, and also getting them to understand that there's there is this whole other idea that. Waymo, you may have a business model for doing something in Chandler and it may work for you and taking that to San Francisco because you you have an idea that you you as a company are going to be able to earn money doing this some way. You're going to have to think about this in a different way, maybe not the same business model working in a Trenton or a Scranton or other cities or a Syracuse where you're going to be providing mobility for people who don't have the possibility of paying or don't have the same idea that, that being in a vehicle is freeing them up to be able to, to search and buy things online. I mean, it's, it's a completely different approach to, to, uh, to business. So I think getting that point across as quickly as possible, I think is good. Really good. Yeah. And, and, and we hope that you find a business model out of this uh, that allows you to earn and become rich too. I mean, people do spend money to travel. Uh, you know, and they have for forever, always, mm-hmm. and 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 so there there is the opportunity to earn something, and and there is the opportunity to earn a profit. And what's key here is that the revenue be greater than the cost. And what what I think that what I continue to think is that the technology piece allows you to take what would have been a high cost thing and drop it down here so that if, if this is really the level at which people are will or can pay that instead of losing and needing the subsidy or whatever, or only serving those up here, you can actually bring it here. And, and this margin is a good margin and the scale isn't bad. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Most unfortunately in the country, you know, 30%, 40% of the people aren't all that wealthy. There are a number of them. Okay. So it's not to say, oh my goodness, I don't have a market. All right. And the problem is if you just go after the one percenters, I mean, they're just a pain in the butt. Okay. Just think what you have to put up with. You might get a nickel out of them. I don't know any one percenters. (laughs) I don't either. So I don't, I'm not there, but I imagine, imagine. (laughs) Maybe I do some of my students, never mind. (laughs) Michael, thank you again for for taking the time with us. Really terrific. Uh, People can find you and the dispatcher at michaellsena.com. Thank you also to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO. More info is available at MOTOETF.com. You can find us at SmartDrivingCar.com. Also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, wherever you get podcasts. And you can get your smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at Textination.com. 
I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching, and please continue to stay safe. Thank you, everybody. Enjoy. Yeah.